What's up, everybody? Welcome to Show Me the Meaning, Wisecracks Movie Podcast. Show me the meaning. Show me, <laughs> Show me the money! <laughs> My name is Jared. I'm joined here with the Show Me the Meaning crew. We got Austin. Yo. And Tommy. Hey, Jared. All right, so today we're breaking down The Lighthouse, the 2019 film directed by Robert Eggers, starring Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. As always, we're going to go around and get first impressions. What was it like watching this movie for the first time? What was it like revisiting it for this podcast? Let's start with the man across from me. Let's start with Tommy. Well, I think the first time I saw this was like three months ago. So, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wasn't. There wasn't a ton of distance uh, in my uh, in my mind. Um, I, I kind of had the same feeling after watching it a second time. Uh, I think it's. Uh, I think it's the ultimate Reddit movie uh, for good or for and for oh, ill. Okay. Uh, it's a movie that is sort of designed to pose questions. But I find it sort of ambiguity. Uh, the ambiguity isn't of its isn't of itself the point, which I find mm. mildly irritating. Uh, and uh, I find it to be very emotionally distant. Uh, I have a hard time getting into this movie, mm. and I really love The Witch, uh, but this one keeps me sort of curiously distant. Uh. Having said that, great, great Pattinson. The the cinematography is excellent. Defoe is great. It's a good movie. I just don't love it like a lot of other people do. It's funny you say it's the ultimate Reddit movie and that because I was when I chose this movie, I was like, hell yeah, we're going to have so much to talk about. And then when I watched it a second time, I was like, oh, well, it definitely looks cool. But that's not to say that I don't think there's some things to talk about. But I think that you are right. I think that there's a lot of deliberately planned ambiguity that's there to kind of create this sense of foreboding and mystery that works really well. But you can't really say much about it backing yeah. it up with too much evidence. Yeah, I don't know what the movie's... I mean, I guess we're going to talk about it, but I'm not 100% sure what the movie's really trying to say. And if it is, I think it's trying to say a lot of different uh, things. I think it's just trying to creep you out. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's fair too. Uh, Austin, what do you think? I, honestly, it's similar. I, I saw it like three weeks ago, and then I saw it yesterday. So Because um, it just came out a little bit later here, so it was super fresh. But I walked out of it, and I said I want to watch this again because I feel like I'm missing stuff. You know? Like, I felt yeah. like the praise that it's getting should have made it more profound than the experience that I had. Like, I kind of walked out and I was like, okay, like, it's almost super profound. Black and white, psychosexual, the heart of darkness, madness. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. And then I kind of, maybe it was, it, it just left me a little like, okay, like, yeah. It, it, it's yeah. weird. It, it was a thing. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. Like See, I was, I... I was expecting like von Trier, like effect on me, <laughs> you know, and it didn't have that effect. No, no, it's not quite that. That was the movie we were going to do. We were going to do Melancholia today, but oh, we had boy. to reschedule. Uh, <laughs> you know, I agree with everything that you guys are saying, but for the same reasons, I love the movie. Really, <laughs> just because. It was yeah. stylistically cool. I also just love both of those actors. I love Robert Pattinson and Willem Dafoe. I think these are some of the most beastly work he's ever done. Yeah, though, some amazing. of those monologues are just yeah. amazing. They are both great in the movie. The yeah. language yeah. is <laughs> ridiculous. It is It is amazing how they handled the language. I mean, same thing with The how Witch, they right? It. The Witch, the language again. I mean, see, he's I a tremendous writer. Is, yes. Oh, see, I haven't seen The Witch. But I was appalled by how amazing and precise these the dialogue was to really capture i suppose the movie takes place like off the coast of maine in the 1800s or something like that yeah and yeah i don't know much about that time period but i bought into it for sure 
Yeah, yeah, the dialogue creates this mood, so. Yeah, absolutely. So I like the movie in terms of what it's trying to say. I don't know, maybe we'll come upon something, but I was interested the whole time. As far as it being emotionally distant, I would agree with that. When we learn more about the young guy's past and how he killed a guy to maintain his identity, I don't really know if we were supposed to feel anything about Mm -hmm. that. Yeah, I'm a little bit at a loss. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's no, I'm not against emotionally distant movies in general. I mean, I, I love Kubrick. I love David Fincher. Uh, so, I mean, there's nothing against emotionally distant movies. But it's hard when you're sort of tracking uh, a man's descent into madness. That's such mm. a, an emotional thing, I, I think. Mm. And it, we're always sort of uh, arm's length from Pattinson as he sort of descends into madness. So we're never really... We're experiencing his madness, but we're always arm's length from it at the same time. So mm. it's hard to sort of become emotionally involved as much mm. as I think you should in a movie about a guy going slowly insane. Yeah. You should feel like you're going insane. Yeah, I think. it should, it but, should uh, have an effect on the audience that yeah. it's taken. Yeah, I agree. And I didn't feel that. I felt like I was just yeah, watching you don't. something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Yes. Interesting. Okay. I have a, I have a, oh, wait, All right, well, we got to do the recap, but I have a question too. At what point yeah, yeah, yeah. does it, does like a, uh, a stylistic choice just become like doing it for the sake of it being cool. Like, um, hmm. like the black and white and the, the frame, I was like, it's cool. But like, at what point is it just like, and I don't want to sound like a dickhead, but is it just, cause we all have come out of the, this background, but at what point is it just like, um, film school? Oh, see, I think that it's just done so well. It well, is I, so I, beautiful. So. <laughs> I mean, I think you almost can't do this movie without doing the way it was stylistically done. I mean, I don't think the movie would be effective. I don't think it would really haunt people like I think it has. Uh, and I don't think that there's any deeper reason for it being black and white and the, what was the aspect ratio, like one nineteen one or something like that. And yeah, I think it's just really these people, the movie just strikes me as a vision, a really evocative, really not necessarily a profound vision, but one that really sticks with you. Yeah. All right, guys, let's go into a recap. So two workers, one old and one young, arrive on an island to work a lighthouse for four weeks. As Young settles in, he finds an ivory carving of a mermaid hidden in his bed. Young performs his manual duties during the day shift, and while traditionally they should trade off, Old insists on keeping the night shift, or tending to the light, all to himself. Meanwhile, Young sees haunting images of a dead man and a mermaid in the water. The next day, a one-eyed seagull blocks Young's work path, causing him to throw some coal at it. Later, Old informs Young that his previous second went mad and died raving about mermaids and the light being enchanted. Then Old forcefully insists that it's bad luck to pick fights with a seabird as the souls of dead sailors reside in them. Soon after, Young reveals that his name is Winslow. One night, Young is drawn to the lighthouse, where Old seems to be in the throes of ecstasy with a tentacled monster. Next day, the one-eyed gull taunts Young as he tries to work. Young snaps and kills the gull. The night before Young is leaving the island, him and Old get drunk, and Old reveals that his real name is Thomas. Young again envisions a sexy mermaid swept upon the shore, but Young's plans to leave the island are ruined when a storm comes in. Next day, Old suggests that it's been weeks since they were supposed to leave. 
Old and young drink more and more as they descend into madness. Young finds a one-eyed head in the water and eventually spills his beans to old. His real name is also Thomas, and he killed a man named Winslow to assume his identity. When the storm turns their lodgings upside down, Young finds Old's logbook and discovers that Old has recommended Young be fired without pay. Young's anger reaches a boiling point, beats Old, and tries to bury him alive while Old speaks of Young's inevitable punishment. Young takes Old's keys and is about to unlock the lighthouse when Old attacks Young, forcing Young to kill Old. When Young opens the light and stares into it, he screams with an insane intensity and falls all the way down the stairs. Young awakens with his innards splayed open, seabirds feasting on his liver. End of movie. Don't fuck with a seabird, man. Don't fuck with a seabird. <laughs> but before we go any farther, I want to give a shout out to our sponsors over at Skillshare. So uh, one of the values that we hold really dear at Wisecrack is being a lifelong learner, and Skillshare shares that mission statement, so we're really happy to have them sponsoring us. If you're looking to explore new skills or get inspired or deepen your existing passions, Skillshare is an online learning community where you can explore and discover thousands of classes on a wide variety of topics like graphic design, productivity, creative writing, film and video, freelancing, and more. And if you're looking for a class to take, I recommend checking out iPhone Filmmaking, creating cinematic video on your phone. I don't know if some of you caught the movie Tangerine back in 2015, but it was a great movie shot entirely on an iPhone. So after that movie, there's really no excuse for you not to be the next Scorsese. So teachers Caleb and Niles will teach you all the nuances to make your iPhone videos good enough for the silver screen. They detail the equipment, apps, and workflow that is helpful for both beginners and experienced cinematographers curious about shooting on an iPhone. And when you compare it to expensive in-person workshops or night classes, Skillshare is really affordable. An annual subscription is less than 10 bucks a month. And right now they're offering Show Me the Meaning listeners two free months. All you got to do is go to Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack. Again, that's Skillshare.com slash Wisecrack for two free months of unlimited access to awesome classes. And now back to the show. Tell me you like my cooking. <laughs> I was going to say, why'd you spill your beans? <laughs> um, all right, so let's start with the thing that I think is really kind of the only obvious big kind of aha meaning thing here, and that's the Promethean myth. So at the end, the gulls are eating his liver just like the birds ate Prometheus's immortal liver. So to summarize, the Titan Prometheus stole fire from the gods and gave it to man. In return, Zeus chained him to a rock and sent an eagle to eat his liver. Prometheus was only released when he tells Zeus that the sea nymph Thetis, whom both Zeus and Poseidon were pursuing, would give birth to Achilles, whose mortal father would ensure that he was not immortal. So here's my first question. We know what Prometheus was punished for. There's even a part in Willem Dafoe's monologue while he's being buried where he says, Oh, what protean forms swim up from men's minds and melt in hot Promethean plunder, scorching eyes with divine shames and horrors, and cast them down to Davy Jones. <laughs> I wish I could just, I, I would read the whole thing if I had the, if we had the time. pretty good, but, man. Um, You're doing good. You're doing oh, good there. Keep you, going. Thank you. No, I, want, oh. I actually don't have the rest of it. Down, <laughs> <laughs> um, what do you guys think he's being punished for exactly? Well, I mean, it's the search for knowledge, right? But he wants, he wants, well, yeah, what is is he being punished for? I mean, he wants the knowledge that he feels has been deprived from him, right? So it's like Prometheus was trying to give mass knowledge to the masses. 
he just wants knowledge for himself and is punished for for that for that sin do you think mm, that makes I mean, sense to me so there's a, a philosopher named bernard stiegler who has written a series of books called techniques in time and he talks about the promethean myth and then the epimethean myth is who is like his brother i think um but the idea is is that what you get with with prometheus is that he's stealing technology it's not just knowledge it's he's actually stealing technology so what the myth could be a way of helping us to understand how technology kind of constitutes us as human beings. Like we are beings insofar as we use technology, right? Um, and so maybe the idea here is the light of the lighthouse is a, a powerful and important technology to save ships and things like that. But when you know, kind of when you open the door of, of needing technology, you end up in a world potentially like we are now where everything is platformed. You know, we talk about some of the pitfalls of technology and things like that. <laughs> so, you know, maybe maybe that's what you have. And so it could be that this is a myth. If it's a Promethean myth, it could be a, a type of uh, a punishment just for simply being human because of stealing technology. And he is a, a man who is like, uh, he guards the lighthouse. He guards this singular technology. And that's why Pattinson, when he looks into that light, he almost has like an orgasm. Because there is some weird psychosexual That's what I was just going to bring up. Right? Yeah, so I was going to bring up. it's kind of sexual a... and erotic about the light in technology that like will save you or that will make you feel whole. But it doesn't. He stares into the fucking light and then he falls down because you can't it's touch like... the real, you know? It's like video videodrome-esque. You know what? I didn't even think about that, but yeah, 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 yeah. In, in a in a weird way. I hadn't yeah. really thought about it in terms of technology, but I definitely was thinking about, okay, there seems to be some mix of sexual pleasure and insanity and horror and I and and, and to Tommy's point what he said earlier, I think there's really not anything in particular in terms of any singular vision that the Eggers were really thinking that it was that he was looking at. I, I could also argue that it's self-knowledge. I mean, this is a character, both these characters are sort of living in denial and they're refusing to sort of cop to their own sort of misdeeds and oh. who they really are. And so, I mean, by looking into the light, he's being confronted by the truth of who and what he is. And this sort of, and seeing who he is causes him to sort of lose his mind oh, and yeah. fall over and uh, die. And there's a there's a whole theory, and I, I sort of ascribe to this that young and old are potentially one in the same theoretically. Mm. Um, and so him coming to the knowledge that uh, potentially he is Willem Dafoe, uh, and he will end up in this same sort of situation is what sort of drives him to this uh, to his own insanity. Yeah, there's mm. that fate that fatedness that that you would get in in tragedy and myth, right? There's always a, there's some sort of fate of the gods or fate being determined by the gods or something like that so maybe yeah that's interesting i like that yeah because there was the whole thing with not only young being tortured by the fact that he killed the ephraim winslow guy the blonde guy that mm -hmm. he keeps on seeing but also that old gets caught in all these lies of how did he lose how did he get his leg all messed up mm -hmm. or uh and yeah, they're weird mirror images of each other because um, Young is all, is obsessed with I'm going to work on this island, I'm going to get my money, and then I'm going to go have a family, and I won't have to listen to any other guy tell me what to do. Meanwhile, Old is like I had a family, I went over to see get a, to get rid of them to get away from them, and then I ended up here, and this is the only place where I really belong. So there's a weird sort of hmm. duality between them. Uh, oh, that's interesting. That no matter what you sort of end up 
you can you can try to do this to get a family or you can try to do this to go, get away from a family but inevitably you just end up alone on a lighthouse uh, with, going crazy <laughs> with weird psych yeah, going crazy <laughs> what do you guys think about the emphasis on teasing us with mythology so there's like when young says he doesn't like old's cooking old calls out to triton to smite him triton <laughs> was a greek god of the sea the son of poseidon uh when young beats old he sees old as a tentacled monster do you think we're supposed to believe that old is some kind of mythological creature whether it be triton or poseidon there's also that shot where young sees his doppelganger and then he turns around and Old is behind him naked and that shot of him is just so cool but it looks like Old is almost godly in that shot and then he opens his mouth and it sprays light at him. <laughs> uh, yeah, what, what do, you, do you guys, how deep does the mythology stuff go? Because I'm tempted to say, like I mentioned the nymph Thetis before and part of me is like, well, is the mermaid the nymph Thetis or is it just a mermaid? Uh <laughs> Didn't Edgar say that he's uh, he's Proteus, right? Or is that did, I, oh, did, did Defoe? He? I think he said that Defoe is supposed to represent Proteus, and oh. uh, and uh, Pattinson is Prometheus. And what would happen if those two ever crossed paths? Oh, uh, I did the, not. The keeper of the knowledge and the one who seeks to get the knowledge for himself and others. Oh so. well, shit. He just showed us the meeting. <laughs> Thanks, Robert Edgar. <laughs> shit. All right, show's done. Later. Show's done. <laughs> show's done. <laughs> So when Young finds the head of the previous worker, it only has one eye in it, just like the seagull that was pestering him. Uh, I don't know. If the seagull is the spirit of dead sailors, then what was the spirit of the previous assistant trying to tell him or stop him from doing? Or was he just there to torture him? Well, I mean, how much do you buy what we actually see in the movie? How reliable do you feel like Robert Pattinson actually is as a narrator in this? That was my um, question because I didn't I didn't think that it I, was a reliable. Well, even yeah, I yeah I don't I think the entire movie is unreliable. Like, yeah. Well, I even old says that yeah. you could be back in the trees and this could all be a figment in your yes. imagination. I could be a figment in your imagination. Right. It's rare that a movie comes out and just says that. <laughs> yeah, uh, which I which I kind of appreciate because it almost. Well, the weird the weirdest moment is when we watch Defoe try to kill him with the axe and break the boat, and they go back into the house, and he and Defoe is like, "Why did you chase me with yeah, yeah, the yeah. axe and destroy my boat?" And yeah. are you supposed to interpret that as he, is he gaslighting? He's Pattinson, gaslighting, yeah. or is that actually what actually did happen? And what we hit we're seeing is totally wrong. Uh, well, and then there's the whole thing with him saying that three weeks have gone by, yes, whereas. When, uh, Pattinson That's only like, thinks a day has gone yeah. by. Yeah, I, I, I wondered. See... I wondered that too. When, especially at that moment, I thought it was gonna. I'm glad they didn't make it too heavy-handed, though. I thought it was gonna be heavy-handed, like, oh, this whole thing you've been watching the whole time was just. Yeah. A, uh, <laughs> I'm glad they didn't do that. Like we've seen that a million times. I get it. I see dead people. Whatever. Um, <laughs> I'm glad they didn't quite have that kind of reveal or twist because it it did. You know how Tommy and I were talking. It, it didn't quite give us the anxiety that we would have liked it to give us. I think they tried. It, it tried. And maybe in some people, it, it, it was more effective. But it was that moment in particular where I was kind of like, okay, I get it. We're supposed to be confused. We're not really supposed to understand what's going on. We're supposed to be ourselves experiencing a descent into madness. Yeah. 
why do you think they chose mermaids? Got <laughs> it seems well, like such a random thing, is it, right? But no, but isn't it like sailors? It, I mean, it not it, to to stay to stay consistent, right? To the whole the, okay. the the mer people. Do they have mermen? Mer mermaids were like these feared entities, mythological entities, and then sometimes they would save you. You know, was it dolphins that people saw, and then they were just hallucinating? You know, we don't really know, but there's such a part of the sailor lore that the world that mm-hmm. he was creating. Like the mermaid is extremely important for the sailors and for being out there on the on the cape or wherever they were, you know. I also saw the mermaid as sort of emblematic of sort of Pattinson's dream. He wants to get away and find a wife, and so the mermaid is sort of the grotesque version of this this woman who will drag him away, but will you know kill him and drown him in the sea. So sort of a, mm. of the perversity of his uh, of his fantasy. Mm. Yeah, because sexuality in this film is not pretty. It's not beautiful. It is perverse. And it, whether it's the two of them that have that moment where you think they're going to kiss and then bang, or there's a bit where I think, is it is it Pattinson or Defoe? I can't remember which one, but sees the other guy's butt when he's in bed, you know? Um, or and then, uh, old is like having a wet dream or something, and it, he's like slightly humping the bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, it, it, but it's, and so this is what I wonder. I wonder then, I'm going to go super abstract here. I wonder if the film could really be about um, like the perversion of desire and that that's why you can't look into the light, right? But like light and sexuality and all of those things are perverse in this film and it's because we have that perversion that, that we are guilty or we are corrupted. So both of them are then fated, like if young is going to be fated to become old, it's because of human corruption, because of desire. And then maybe that has something to do with the idea of we have a fall, like like with a capital F, like the fall, um, in a very similar Promethean sense, right? Or in an Adam and Eve kind of sense. That there's a fall, there's a corruption of our nature, and so all of this shit now happens to us because we are just simply fated towards destruction or whatever. That sequels will eat out our innards. Welcome I to life. Really like, I really like your reading on technology, but maybe that's just because, you know, I'm a huge Videodrome fan. And it, yeah. and it also is just akin to a lot of the... Uh, technophobia that we kind of tend to uh dive into sometimes well like Um, so you didn't see with the witch right but um no i didn't there's a lot of similar like tones and themes guilt and religion like i feel like this guy studied religion or grew up in the church uh, in like a puritan like reformed church because that's really what the witch kind of that's the background of of the the community what is it 1600s like puritans maybe early 1700s uh like puritan village on the east coast of of the united states so there's something about religion guilt a fall um sexuality those things that are repeated themes i think in both in both of the films oh interesting yeah i'll have to check it out it's great i didn't do my homework i should have seen the so you you also like that be- that movie better than this one? I think so. Yeah, I, well, the first time I saw The Witch, I didn't get it actually. Like it, again, it kind of it just didn't land. And then I saw it the second time, and I was like, oh okay. So maybe that'll happen with this film actually, because I saw it the second time, and I was like, okay, I I think I was expecting a horror movie, you know, like a scary movie, when I saw The Witch. Mm-hmm. And then I think even with this one, I was expecting I don't know why I was expecting that. I'm, freaking idiot learn something austin um you, you you made this mistake with his last film you should know better but i think i went in maybe with different expectations for this film as well i thought they were going to be creepier or scarier and i didn't get that distinct vibe it's more provocative 
and intriguing uh, than scary, I think. Both of them. I would agree, and I would say that the style and the performances just intrigued me enough for the full two hours, and I was yeah, yeah that, and I was yeah. into it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my next question was just going to be about the aspect ratio in the film stock. It was mm. filmed on black and white, thirty-five millimeter negative, uh, and I, aspect ratio of one nineteen to one, which basically looks like a four by three television type thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought it was four by three. So okay, yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's. Four by three is only for televisions, Typically right? It's only for TV. Yeah. Is it okay? Yeah, but I think if you're actually shooting, like what, like anamorphic is like two to thirty-five. Two to, yeah. yeah. So anyway, um, mm. I mean, it's beautiful. Any particular? Re- it, it is. It's beautiful. It, it really There's re- no denying that it's beautiful. Um, I I enjoy when aspect ratios are different, and you you, it feel it, it felt like I was watching a newsreel almost like an old timey black and white newsreel. Like it had that kind of, like, I, I wish I could hear the flicking of uh, the projector. Like I, I wish I had that kind of uh, experience. Um, so it's beautiful. And I think that it does, it does add to um, the creepiness, even if I don't think it's as creepy as I, I, I maybe was expecting it to be or something like that. Um, the, it, it creates a sort of dark tone that just falls over the theater. At least it did for me. Like I felt like everyone when you hear in that there. Foghorn. Yeah. When you hear that foghorn over that black and white, I mean, it is pretty haunting. I think it's, it is. Yeah, I was it gonna is. say. It, yeah. it feels like it's like hearkening back to some like Hammer movies with like these fog coming in and characters mm-hmm. sort of stuck and isolated in one place, yeah. uh, and and what happens from there. So this seems sort of a modern retelling of this sort of sort of old old fashioned genre that is. What you said, Hammer movies? What yeah, is like that? Hammer, like horror movies back in like the fifties, and like they were okay. a production company that made like you know Dracula and all these other sort of lower budget gotcha type okay. of horror movies. Interesting. Yeah, I could totally I actually, see that. Yeah, uh, like the terror stuff like that. Huh. Yeah, that is interesting. I actually read the script for this movie before this podcast, which is something I've never done before mm. because I just I glanced at it too. Yeah, be- because of the the language, and I wanted to make sure I wasn't missing anything. The script is great. The script <laughs> is amazing. Yeah, is it? And and there was uh, a couple parts that you know you watch a movie, and when you don't, obviously when you watch a movie, you don't get to see the scene descriptions that are in the script. And I was surprised at how many times what. I was interpreting what was happening on screen was very different than what the script was yeah. describing. Mm. So, for example, when he's uh, putting the, what is it, caulk or chalk inside of the their water thing, and then, like, he's f- sloshing it around, yeah. and then, like, the camera shows us the chalk inside of the water. And in the script, it was like it was almost beautiful. And I was like, wow, I did not really mm. get a sense of, awe or beauty from that scene mm-hmm. and so there's even like a musical sting at, at the end of that scene as i recall like uh like our foreboding like musical cue goes <laughs> over the shifting water so there's like there's a couple of musical cues that willem dafoe's character is supposed to sing in the movie that they cut out okay oh really yeah. <laughs> which is yeah which is which is a little bit of a shame because hmm. Because I would have, yeah, I mean, I'd pay to just see any, hear anything else come out of Willem Dafoe's mouth in that movie. Uh, so, per- so performance-wise, it is extremely important, I think, to 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 praise these kinds of films. Like these kinds of films need to get made, you know. And it's, you yeah. know, we often talk about like the death of cinema. Scorsese comes out and is like, you know, 
Marvel films are not cinema. And he's probably right. But um, what does that mean? What is cinema? And there's something about this kind of film that, not just to be like a snob, like a film snob that likes bravura performances or something like that, but it's important that these kinds of films get made and that they're successful and they keep getting made and that people like Eggers and others can keep getting funding because it's brilliant. It really is like the performances I thought were so, it was theatrical and in in the good way, um, not over the top or melodramatic, but just, I felt like I was watching something that we'll be talking about performance wise, at least for decades, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's so weird to see that Robert Pattinson has yeah. become such a such a such a great He's a and such badass. a strange actor. Yeah. Such a weird. Yeah. Like he made this movie and uh, High Life, uh, the Claire Denis <laughs> Claire Denis movie, uh, which is also super weird and super good. So that uh, one I didn't see, but I did see it's Good Time. I did that see is, Good Time and Good Time. Yeah, Good Time. Good time. Amazing. So good. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so funny yeah, because I mean, we were debating five years ago about if you were on Team Edward or Team whatever the fuck the other guy's name was. Uh, oh yeah, it's Team Edward. It's, no, I mean, no, it's Ed, Edward has won. <laughs> Edward has won. <laughs> yeah. yeah, whatever even team happened Edward to Taylor Lautner? Team... Is he still doing movies? <laughs> yeah, I remember. No, he's not. I think he was given like one shot. He had like this yeah, blockbuster I, like I action that, movie. Where he's like, did, yeah, I did. Where he's yeah, and, and it tanked, and Oof. then his career's over. Uh, well, guys. I got really nothing else. Well, let me ask you this. That if was we're the thing talk about, about this movie. Yeah, please do. If we're talking about Pattinson, it's a little bit of a rabbit trail, but it still relates to the film because we know how amazing he is as an actor now, right? He's not just the guy from Twilight anymore. Do we have hope that he will be good as Batman? I do. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I have all the faith in Pattinson. I was not a big fan of his uh, off of Twilight. I actually thought Case <laughs> I thought Case Stew was excellent. I was always on board with Case Stew, but I thought Pattinson didn't have much. And I saw him in Cosmopolis. And I would, I didn't get I didn't get why people loved him in Cosmopolis. Well, Cosmopolis has a lot of problems. Cosmopolis has does have a lot of problems, but Good Time really. It's one of my favorite directors, and I almost walked out yeah. of that movie. I think his performance oh, wow. in Good Time is one of the best modern day acting performances. Oh wow! And I think he wow. and I love Defoe. I think he outacts Defoe. I, I don't even know how that's possible in this movie. Yeah, I don't know how that's so, possible. Uh, he's, he's <laughs> that's he yeah. Has, yeah. So yes, he's going to be. And, good and I remember one thing that I think it was Matt Damon said when the internet was freaking out about Batfleck. He said, "Look, it's not fucking Hamlet. <laughs> 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 he's playing Batman." Uh, yeah. So. It's a. I I think Robert Pattinson I mean, is going to do all. I just hope. I have no. I just hope he continues making these weirder movies. Yeah. That, that he doesn't get sucked down the rabbit hole of Batman, Batman Two, Batman Three. I think he uh, will. Matt Matt Reeves. Yeah, I think he yeah, will yeah. keep making these. I don't know why. I. It's just a. I have no evidence that I'm basing this off of. It's just a gut. Well, sense, because but, I mean, yeah. if 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 he did it at all, it obviously wasn't for the money. So obviously right. he's got some idealism in it in him. My my biggest concern about Batman is everyone else. Like, is everyone else going to bring their A yeah. game to the table? Who's I, writing it? Who's, I love who's I Matt love, Reeves. Matt Reeves is great, and yeah. he wrote it. He wrote it. Okay, too. yeah. Anyway, yeah, we'll all see. right, guys. Uh, anything else you guys want to bring up about the movie? I, I'll say uh, this time watching it, uh, I, I I felt the movie was the. Uh, the art house office space. Uh, I thought it was a movie. <laughs> it's a movie all about a guy working a dead end job who just wants his boss to promote him and show him the goddamn White House. And he tells him, maybe one day, maybe one day you'll get that promotion. Just work a little harder for two more weeks. We'll get you your pay. And two weeks turns into 
three months turns into two years, and two years later you find yourself working the same dead-end job with no sight of a promotion, and the only way to get that promotion is to kill your boss and get the, and get the lighthouse for yourself. And I don't know if I'm projecting, but that is what <laughs> I got from watching oh, it great. the second time. That yeah. is, that's a great take. Uh, the, we right. talk about him a lot on this podcast, or I do anyway, but the French psychoanalyst Jacques Lacan, he famously has this painting. Uh, I think it's called like The Birth of the World, something along those, those lines, like the, the origin of the world or the birth of the world. And it's basically just a close-up of a woman's vagina. And uh, Zizek talks about how this is the real. Like we fantasize about the sexual object. We want it. But when it's like up front staring at you in the face, you don't want it anymore. And I think that's kind of like it's too monstrous. It's too much. It's too real. That's why it's the real. So I think that's kind of what is happening in this film too. It's exactly what Tommy was just talking about. Like you need this thing. You have this thing that is impelling you forward and you can't ever attain it. And even if you did attain it, you probably would die. And that's what happens when Pattinson looks into the lighthouse. Like he can't actually attain mastery over the technology. He can't actually attain knowledge or self-awareness. He has to suppress it somehow because if you stare into the light, you'll fall back down and you'll get eaten by seagulls or something like that. Very cool. You guys really brought it this episode because I was like big old question mark and you guys have shown me the meaning. All right. You guys cool? We just cut it a little short. Go to the mailbag. Yeah. Yeah. Let's All go right. To the How many of you have seen Sonic the Hedgehog? Oh, I've seen it. Oh, you have. Austin, I know you've seen it, right? I, en- I endured it. <laughs> oh, God. He really did see it. I was expecting him to say no. All right. Great. Uh, all right. So this is from R. Just letter R. What's up, showing me the crew? My name is. Oh, it's not just R. His name is Rashim, and he wanted to talk about Sonic the Hedgehog. While I thought the Sonic movie was really good, the Olive Garden was gratuitous. But my significant other made a great point. It makes sense to use the Olive Garden because when you go to the Olive Garden, your tell me, Tommy, family. Exactly. Just a thought that I wanted to share. Love all the content. Very excited. Jared is back. Thank you, Rashim. Uh, this one is from Craig. Haven't seen the Sonic movie, but listen to your review. Sounds like the Mushroom World is the first level in Sonic and Knuckles' Mushroom Hill Zone. Also, I've got a comment about an ancient episode you did when I sent the to the wrong email ages ago. All right, well, first, as, as far as the Mushroom Hill Zone thing, thank you for that, because I thought it was some sort of a Mario illusion, and I was very wrong. Uh, I haven't played Sonic and Knuckles since... I was. I that's didn't what I was. Anything you just said. Yeah. No. Yeah. That's. That, I. The last one I played the one game on Sega Genesis when I was like what ten or something like that. I. I have not stayed <laughs> up with the franchise. This was not a film that was made for Austin. Like this was a film. Yeah. Like I, I. I wasn't even a Sega Genesis guy. I was like a PlayStation guy. Like wasn't there a competition at the time where it was like no are you man PlayStation? that was totally Super Nintendo no, no Super Nintendo totally Super Nintendo. Super yeah, yeah. Nintendo. It was. I was a Super Nintendo Genesis guy. do what Nintendo don't. Look, Sonic oh. has like two minutes. The movie has like two minutes that are actually good. When Jim Carrey does his evil dance, dance. Yeah, that's it. That's all. <laughs> hey, man. I got my Jim money's Carrey, worth Jim just Carrey's from that. Jim Carrey's good in that yeah. movie. Uh, yeah. All right, so this is about Batman v Superman. Batman v Superman. The scene where Batman stops himself from killing Superman when he says Martha is supposed to be a callback to the opening scene of the movie where Bruce's dad says Martha while dying in the sidewalk. I got that from a Reddit comment from Craig. Cool. All right. This one is from Ariel or Ariel. Uh, very appropriate for a movie with mermaids in it. But she wanted to talk about her Olive Garden experience because I think Michael had a call for uh, Olive Garden experiences during our Sonic podcast. 
She says, when I just graduated from college, I moved to a small town in New York State to help my grandfather who suffered from a stroke. His favorite restaurant was Olive Garden. He would have us eat there two to three times a week. To make it worse, I'm a bit of a picky eater, and he always wanted to order off the two for $20 menu. <laughs> At the time, there were only two entrees I liked on the menu. As you can imagine, I hated the Olive Garden with a passion by weeks 12 to 16. <laughs> I specifically recall asking him if we could stay in and that I would cook or we could go to another restaurant one night, but he only wanted Olive Garden. When we got there, I began to glare at my wine glass and kept thinking, I pray this place burns to the ground. <laughs> I repeated that mantra in my head the entire time we were there. The next morning, I'm preparing our breakfast and he's watching the news in the living room. He suddenly announces how we won't be going to Olive Garden anymore. As I calmed down after last night, I said, oh no, why is that? You love that place. He responds... It burnt to the ground last <laughs> night. <laughs> I dropped what I was doing to watch the news. It had literally burnt to the concrete foundation without leaving a structure. Thankfully, no one was hurt. The cause of the fire was due to an employee who had left a pot of water on the stovetop and forgot to turn it off. Uh, anyway, I love the podcast. Would love for you to do Birds of Prey next, which I have not seen. Why do people talk so much shit about Olive Garden? Honestly, it's not bad. It is. It's, it's like it's the fine. Guy Fieri of restaurants, right? No, it's terrible. You guys are crazy. You guys are fucking <laughs> Okay, well, nuts. Tommy's a major foodie. Yeah. Oh my god. I can't I can't even stay, set foot set foot in an olive garden. Those breadsticks are good, oh, man. You're uh, telling come me on, that whatever. <laughs> See, hey, the breadsticks are fine. If anyone's going to he is a this man is a food <laughs> snob, but hey, no, I love you for it. Uh, I I could probably eat happily at the Olive Garden. I'm a man of exceptionally low there taste when so it comes to food. There are so many good Italian restaurants oh, I'm sure in there, Los Angeles. I'm sure There's there so are. many good ones. But how many of them have unlimited Oh my god! Unlimited X Y Z is not uh, is not a benefit. Unlimited sushi <laughs> is not uh, is yes, not is, is no bueno no, either. It's by better. The way. No, no, no. All, all you can eat <laughs> no, no, is no. better. It no, just no. is. You're not a, you're nope. not you're just not a disgusting nope. man, Tommy. All right. <laughs> Anything you can eat all of is not something you want to eat. <laughs> all right. Uh, this one is from Martin. He says, "I just wanted to offer my two cents on why Sonic referred to Tom as Donut Lord and Doctor Robotnik as Eggman." I'll just add from what you guys said, perhaps the writers needed a dot to connect and justify Sonic dubbing Dr. Robotnik Eggman, implement the easy trope of cops loving donuts. I love that they don't simply use the trope as is, but instead take it a step further and kind of parallel Tom's isolation while out at speed traps with Sonic's loneliness. However, instead of talking to himself as Tom lords over donuts, throw in Pretzel Lady and Dr. Robotnik named Eggman because you're third for the rule of three. All of Sonic's nicknames, for lack of knowing the people's names, are associated with food. You can then infer that Sonic perceived Robotnik's robots as resembling eggs. Now, there's one last thing, Tommy, that he puts in here that I thought you would get a kick out of. P.S. A close friend of mine had the same Asian horror films class around the same time, if not the same time you did. He speaks of the professor as you have on the channel. It tickles me when you bring it up. Do you know which professor I'm referring to? Of course I am. Yeah, of course, course you I do. Know. So Tommy also had this professor, but a different class. I did, yeah. Uh, we won't say her name, <laughs> but uh, she was legendary for telling kids how fucking stupid they are in the middle oh, of class. Yes. Oh, yeah. oh, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Smart, one of the smartest ladies I've ever met, but she would had no fear of saying, don't use that word, you fucking twat. You know? <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Something like that in class. That's amazing. All right, guys. If you want to send us an email, hit us up at movies at wisecrack.co or leave us a voicemail at 213-534-8807. Sounds like this is a big Reddit discussion movie. I never really go on Reddit before preparing for these podcasts because I 
want it to be semi-original. Yeah. Uh, so if there's a lot of stuff that is on there in the interwebs that we did not bring up, give us a call, send us an email. Once again, that's 213-534-8807 or movies at wisecrack.co. We're going to be back in two weeks. Helen, who also hosts on the channel, really wants to talk about the movie Contagion since there's hmm. all this stuff going I, on yeah, the news. I can't, you I imagine can't. why, huh. yeah. And then yeah. that's not going to talk about do melancholy. anything to make me feel better uh, at all. If no. I have to, yeah, if, if I have to hear you guys the, talk the, about movie Contagion. Has a hap- <laughs> yeah, it has a happy ending. I mean, people die, but I actually uh, have not seen it. Oh, Spartan. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, and then uh, at some point, we're doing Melancholia. Yeah. That does yep, not. Yep. No, no, it does not. <laughs> no. It's the opposite. <laughs> All right. I want to thank Tommy and Austin for joining me, and we'll be back in two weeks with Contagion. Sweet. As always, see you guys later. Peace. Peace. Laters.